name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The Gospel lessons for the first three Sundays of Lent follow a thematic progression in their depictions of the Lord's victory over the demonic forces of the world. The first Sunday recounted the temptation in the wilderness. The second Sunday featured the exorcism of the Canaanite woman's daughter. Today, the Gospel portrays the moment when Christ drives out the mute demon and is subsequently confronted by the Pharisees and the people. Common to all of these accounts is the recurring theme of deliverance. The positioning of our Lord in the Gospel connects this moment of his ministry with the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. In Exodus, there is a showdown between Moses and Aaron, the sorcerers of Pharaoh's court. With each wonder that God works through his servants, the sorcerers provide a demonic imitation of it. At one point, though, the magicians are no longer able to replicate the signs of God. Consequently, they identify the wonders of Moses and Aaron as having been accomplished through the, quote, finger of God. In the context of this showdown, the failure of the sorcerers to replicate the wonder signifies the superiority of the God of Moses over the Egyptian deities. In our gospel lesson, Christ drives out the demon and again fulfills the type set up in Exodus and demonstrates his power over the devil and his minions. This is a lesson we've been learning for the past several weeks. The power behind the signs that Christ performs is the same power that worked through Moses and Aaron, for he too works by the, quote, finger of God. The Pharisees, however, blasphemously charge our Lord with employing demonic power. In the parallel between the Exodus narrative and the Gospel lesson, these accusers fail to see what even Pharaoh's sorcerers eventually acknowledged. Christ does not allow this misrepresentation to stand for a moment. He asserts that this sign is not the result of some diabolical civil war. Instead, it is a manifestation of the same war that has been taking place since the time of Moses, that war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. God's deliverance is ever the mark of his incontestable power over Satan. Just as the signs that accompanied Moses and Aaron were a signal that God was now delivering his people, so too the repeated victories of Christ demonstrate that God is again delivering his people. We understand our Lord's parable of the strong man in this sense. Christ has shattered the power of the devil, and now the kingdom of God is advancing. The vain attempt to conflate the campaign of the kingdom with the vain resistance of the devil and his forces is not only absurd, but of a most pronounced blasphemy. The standers by in the lesson, too, are implicated in this failure to recognize. They who have just witnessed a sign of Christ's divine power audaciously request to see yet another sign. It is a form of presumptuous, because the only proper response in this case is to acknowledge the Lord as the one who works the wonders of God. The Gospel lesson also reveals 
that there is no compromise position to be held between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, whether in the way we recognize things or in the way we act based on those recognitions. To stand with Christ is to stand in the kingdom of God, and ultimately we must declare our allegiance. This allegiance admits of no double-mindedness. The demand placed on us is one of singular loyalty. This is a war. We've known this from the beginning of Lent, and we must choose a side. Alongside this imagery of conquest stands the epistle lesson, which clarifies for us what manner of life is expected of a member of the kingdom. We are to be as children, and we are to be as citizens. As we grow in the love of God as children, we naturally imitate the love of the Father who loves us. As we attain to our status as citizens, we exercise our identity with the allegiances and behaviors rightly pertaining to it. True belief always obliges action, and our actions are seen to be the fruit of our belief. The austerity of Lent has the habit of giving focus to the quality of the fruit of our belief and reveals the quality of our faith. For some of us, three weeks into the fast, we might find that our fruit is growing inconstantly, reflecting the possibility of our divided commitments to keep faith and to keep the disciplines. Perhaps the fruit that began to grow has ceased through lack of nourishment from prayer and community. Perhaps there is no fruit at all. On the other hand, Perhaps the fruit of faith is progressing apace, but is now being threatened externally with temptations to lose heart or to give up. Whatever the quality of our fruit, there is a core of comfort that runs through this epistle that reminds us that the source of life that gives rise to all belief and its corresponding action is the grace of God, and this grace can never be defeated. With this sure hope, St. Paul leaves us with the exhortation to stand up, to participate, and to persevere. To this end, the epistle focuses through, uh, focuses through various analogies on being aware of this reality of our present time and on acting accordingly. Are we not God's children? Then let, let us act like it. And the love of our Heavenly Father, by following the example of His perfect Son, are we not the light of God in the world? Then let us not shade that light through sin, lest we fail to illuminate the darkness, or worse, fail to stand apart from it. Are we not soldiers of the kingdom, who swore an oath to fight under the banner of Christ until the end? Then let us put away the lazy habits of sin and distraction and indulgence, for we have a mission to complete. Let those of us who have been faithful continue in faith, so too, let those of us who have fallen in the fight stand up and move forward. Is not the day of the Lord at hand, St. Paul says? Has not the kingdom been announced and demonstrated in the power of Christ over the enemy? In the light of God himself, is the light of God himself shining on us? And are we still abed hitting the snooze button? Then let us rise up, that such light might illuminate our way. In all of St. Paul's analogies, we see the twofold nature of our Lenten battle. 
we do not see this as one of mere purgation only. Rather, it is about clearing space that something greater might find its place. In the war against the world, the flesh, and the devil, our part in the struggle cannot be reduced to the mere absence of sin. If, by the grace of God, we manage to clear out the junk from our lives and proverbially sweep the floors of our souls, then we have yet only made a ready place for God to dwell. But if we do not allow goodness to enter in, we have only created a spiritual vacuum. It is not enough that we simply do not sin. Rather, we must also allow God to enter into our lives. The Greek verbiage of the epistle strongly implies that this is a <coughs> habitual action rather than just a one-time moment or a one-time decision. Put another way, we might see the spiritual life as a daily renewal, a daily declaration of our allegiance to the kingdom of God, a daily waking up to our place in God's family, and that by means of both of these actions, we daily renew our vows as imitators of Christ, which in turn makes us both conquerors and co-heirs with him as fellow faithful children of God. The liturgy each week trains us toward this movement of soul. The word of God comes to us, and in response, we confess and repent and receive absolution. In doing so, we regularly experience the power of Christ over the devil and all his works, and we are again made whole. And this wholeness becomes our new pattern of life, the new story of who we are. Moreover, our Lord does not leave us as an empty space, but rather makes us the place in which he is pleased to live. <clears throat> On this, the third Sunday of our Lenten journey, we are faced with the fact that the wilderness stronghold of Satan has been invaded, defeated, and despoiled. Moreover, the mighty conqueror is not someone to be feared, but rather someone who loves us and wants to draw us into his cause. In light of that victory, let us welcome our liberator at the gate when he arrives, that he may dwell in us and we with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.